Uh, I can't believe you did that. So let's keep going on. I think that's really fun too. Pomegranate has a rhyme? You are an excellent bullshitter. Sports Illustrated, Time Magazine, and Newsweek had the same cover and the same week. That's <laughs> up, Kurt. Jumping <laughs> Jiminy John, it's time again for Smart Dribble. And boy, am I excited. This is Kurt Schneider. I'm John Ellenthal, and I love when it's time for Smart Dribble. It's one of my favorite times, Kurt. It's sort of like Mr. Rogers' time when he comes in and says, you know, it's time to take off your shoes, put on your slippers and your sweater. We want you to metaphorically take off your shoes and your suit from the day and slip into your sweater, make yourself a gin martini, sit back and listen to Smart Dribble. Kurt, when was the last time you wore a suit to work? It would probably be when I was on business in China, probably six years ago, five years ago. I don't know the last time I put on a suit for business purposes. We do know, by the way, that one of the possible explanations for the expression, the whole nine yards, is the true gentleman's three-piece suit from Saville Row. And that's how much fabric was necessary? That's what we talked about in an earlier podcast, yes. I recall, I, I have learned since then that the great columnist, William Sapphire, who wrote about language for the New York Times for many years, wrote nine separate columns about the phrase, the whole nine yards. It has confounded people for that long. Love it. So let's get into today and confound our audience even more, John. Kurt, what we're going to discuss today are little known facts and pieces of trivia that we have stuffed on our head for reasons that make no sense. Kind of sounds like you and me going out to lunch and having a little conversation because that's what we do. Would you like me to kick it off? Please. Would you please tell me, Kurt, the difference between flotsam and jetsam? Ooh, both found in the ocean. Okay. I focus on the difference, not the similarities. So flotsam, actually, it's the material that floats to the surface of the ocean and goes on a north-south trajectory, whereas jetsam goes east-west, and never the twain shall meet. Well, I think you have certainly proven that you are an excellent bullshitter. Thank you. But you have not proven, you know, the difference between flotsam and jetsam, which is... One, one is George and his dog Astro, I think. Well, you're correct. They both sort of come from a boat and float in an ocean. Yes. Flotsam comes from a shipwreck or an accident of some kind, whereas jetsam is actually thrown overboard. I don't know when I'll ever use that, but thank you. Well, you might as well know the distinction. You are more likely to be jetsam that is thrown overboard than the other. That probably would be true. Next time you're on a boat, look overboard and use your new knowledge to impress your friends. I will. And what do we We have port, starboard, what's the front? The, the bow uh, is the front and the, and stern, the stern is the back. When I was a kid, I went to sailing camp one summer. <laughs> Why is that funny? Nothing. Go ahead. I know how to sail. <laughs> I will take you out on a small sailboat and show you. Do you in know what event, the sheepshank knot is for? A sheepshank? Yes. For shortening rope, John. So when you're sailing or on a boat and you don't want the rope to get in your way and you'll trip, you tie the sheepshank, which it has one hoop going up and one circle sort of going down. 
It's just a shortened rope, John. It's not to be confused with a sheet bend, which is to take two ropes of different diameter and tie them together. Well, your knowledge of knots is impressive, but I'd be more impressed if you referred to the rope as a line, which is what it's called on a boat. All right, Kurt, there are a bunch of words, not that many in the English language for which there is no rhyme. I know one of them. You do. Tell me one of them. Orange. You are correct. So unlike your previous answers where you were making stuff up, that is correct. Giraffe. Um, You know, I don't know what word rhymes with giraffe. Maybe carafe. But here are the other words. The word month has no rhyme. The word nothing, no rhyme. Pint, no rhyme. The word purple, although I think purple and nurple seem to rhyme perfectly. For sure. Did you ever give someone a purple nurple? Oh, yes. Did you give more purple nurples or did you receive more purple nurples? What is your purple nurple balance sheet? Uh, I think I, um, sadly, I received more, but I did give more wedgies. Okay. By the way, if you gave yourself a purple nurple, it doesn't count. And you seem like you're the kind of person that might have. No, definitely. Okay. The final word for which there is no rhyme in English is the word silver. Kind of interesting. Congratulations on knowing orange. Orange and purple, so two colors. Interesting. Well, orange is also a fruit. Right. Pomegranate has a rhyme? I don't know. That's a a very good question. Persimmon has a rhyme? Maybe proper nouns are not part. (laughs) Orange is a color, as you pointed out, as is purple. That maybe Maybe proper nouns are excluded, because that makes sense. So you're talking about lists of things. What just popped into my head is something that my college roommate loved at dinner parties. He loves to bring up. John, there are only five times in history that Sports Illustrated, Time Magazine, and Newsweek Magazine had the same cover and the same week. Can you name them? Cool. How many of them were Olympic moments? Dose. Okay, the I'm going to say the U.S. hockey team upsetting Russia and winning the gold medal in the 1980 Olympics. Correct, that's one. Did you know that when the U.S. USA beat Russia, it was not the gold medal game? It we was all knew the, that, John. We all knew that. They had to go on to beat Finland in the finals. I think they were losing in that game after two periods, but they came were. back and won. They were. Another great Olympic moment that was on all of those... When the U.S. boycotted the 1980 Olympics in Russia? Nope. Michael Phelps? Nope. Mark Spitz? Nope. You should probably tell me what they are now. The second one, Nadia Komenich. Perfect 10 in Montreal, 1976. So, I almost said that one. But you didn't. I almost did. Okay, so you have two of the five. Okay, so the other so great sports moments that were so important that they transcended the world of sports and ended up in the news. Or news things that had something to do with sports, yes, either way. Tell me the others. Okay. Secretariat. Secretariat, 1973 Triple Crown. How many lengths did it win the Belmont Stakes by? 16. I think it was like 27 or something. It was some incredible. There are some amazing photos of Secretariat coming down the stretch to win the Belmont Stakes. And no horse behind him. And the triple crown, and there is nothing. It's amazing. Please continue. Magic Johnson. Getting HIV? Okay. You ready for this one? You'll never get this one. I didn't get the others. <laughs> Dennis Connor winning the America's Cup. When we won it or when we won it back? 
Sure. Was it off of Newport or was it elsewhere in the world? Uh huh. Anyway, I just thought that's a fun conversation to talk about at dinner because people won't get it. They certainly won't get Dennis Conner. That's the one I didn't get. I got a lot of the other ones. That is a really hard one. So I would have never gotten that one. The others I probably maybe could have gotten if I got lucky and I had an unlimited amount of time. There is only one word in the English language, Kurt, that has three consecutive letter pairs. So the same letter twice and then followed by a different letter twice, followed by a different letter twice. Has to be consecutive. I can only think of one. Bookkeeper? You got it right. And there's only one reason I can think of that you got it right. Why don't you fess up, Kurt? (laughs) I just knew it. Kurt, fess up. (laughs) So let's keep going on. Uh, I can't believe you did that. All right, Kurt. Do you like acronyms, Kurt? You know, I love them. I've talked about POSH. I've talked about F-U-C-K. I've talked about S-H-I-T. So the answer is yes, I love them. By the way, Secretariat, believe it or not, won by 31 lengths, the largest margin of victory in Belmont history. Incredible. Incredible. I just learned two new... You know the expression, and we talked about fun phrases, but to get one's goat? Yes. You know where that comes from? No. To... During horse racing in England, in order to calm a horse's crazy nerves, a goat was put in the stall to calm the horse before a race. If I were racing against you, John, I wanted your horse to be antsy. I would steal or get your goat beforehand so the horse wouldn't have it. So that reminds me of the expression hair of the dog. Yes. You know it? Of course I do. Have you ever had the hair of the dog? Yes, I have, but I only have the the new use of it, not the original use of it. Right. So the original use was if you were bit by a dog, it was thought if you had some of the hair of the dog, you would use that to recover from it. So you basically ingested part of what had done you ill. So in the case of alcohol, if you had too much and you have a hangover, have another drink. And that's supposed to be. I learned two new acronyms recently. And I'm very excited to share them with you because how often do you come across a great new acronym, Kurt? I'm ready. SPAM. Yes. Is an acronym. We know. Do you know what it stands for? Spiced ham. No, but that's a pretty good guess. But I have to say, I consulted with the judges and they said, That's what I've always told it was. Spiced ham. Doesn't make it right, Kurt. Although yours is as plausible as mine. Because again, in an acronym, each letter has to relate to a word, and you didn't meet that test. Because it wasn't an acronym, it was just a conflagration. So SPAM is an acronym for shoulder, pork, and ham. But where's the H? Then it's not a true acronym either. Yeah, it seems to fall (laughs) apart there. And by the way, do you know the place in the world where they consume more SPAM than any other? In Spamalot. In in Hawaii. Do you know why, John? Because it goes good with pineapple. In World War II, they were shut off from mainland. They could not get real meat, cows. So they were given by the government and a ton and ton of spam for the all the Navy people that were there. And so they got a taste for spam that they've never gotten rid of. Have you ever had spam, Kurt? Yes, I have, John. Spam, 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 spam. I have never had spam. I'm not going to have spam but I'm happy to know more about it. So thank you. This is a nice time, John, to stop here because we have our first ever sponsor and it is Tap Strength, a boutique gym and healthy lifestyle resource in Westport, Connecticut. 
Why can I say this with such passion and conviction? Because John, I am a part of a group that does training sessions multiple times per week. And I can honestly say their approach to fitness is unique and it breeds success. I'm an enthusiastic member of the TAP community. TAP strength is training with intention to get you moving efficiently in activities, sports, and life. All exercises are centered around the core to build foundational strength. And to finish the sponsor pitch, John, TAP strength offers one-on-one group, and I'm part of a great group that meets and we actually feed off each other and get each other to get stronger and more flexible and more foundational in our core. And they also do virtual training. Go check them out on Instagram at TAPSTRENGTH, or better yet, see their newly renovated space either in person or over Zoom and give EJ and Lauren a chance to help you tap into your full potential. Let me ask you a question, though, about that. I think you answered this with the Instagram reference, but what if I don't live in or near Westport, Connecticut? How can they help me then? Zoom, John. Zoom training sessions. All right. Well, that sounds great. Thank you for that. And thank you to TAP. All right. There is a major country in the world whose name is actually an acronym. Yes. Can you name it? Sure, I can. Pakistan. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed that you knew that. Not that I don't think you know a lot of stuff, because of course you do. Would you like to break it down for me? Yes, because Pakistan was one of those countries that was sort of carved out, you know, after World War II. The Brits basically did that to the whole Middle East, by the way. After World War I, they said, okay, we're going to draw this here and draw this here. And it's actually been the root of a lot of our problems because they drew it geographically rather than by culture or by religion or some of these other problems. And that's been an issue in Iraq ever since. I remain impressed by you knowing that to this very moment, Kurt. Pakistan is from a bunch of countries. It's formed from... Punjab? Yes. Afghania, Kashmir, Iran. They actually borrowed the I because there was no original I. Sindh, for the S. Turkaristan, Afghanistan, and Balakistan or Balochistan. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right, Kurt. Do you know the area code that's used for the part of Florida that contains Cape Canaveral? Ah, it is awesome. I bet you it's 321. You are correct. They use 321 as in 321 liftoff. How cool is that? I did not know that. That's very cool. You guessed that correctly. I love that. I guessed it correctly, yes. I think that's really fun too. John, one of the reasons we were encouraged to start this podcast is people told both of us that we know an awful little about an awful lot. So we're just sort of showing that today. With an emphasis on awful. All right, Kurt. The Swedes invented a kind of ladies glove years ago made of leather, but they changed the surface by taking an emery board and brushing the smooth surface with it. The French gave this treatment a name called suede. You know what suede means in French? It means Swede. Okay, that's how we get suede. And on that same path, do you know how to say thank you in Japanese? It's arigato, okay? Mr. Roboto? And they didn't have... Domo origato, Mr. Roboto. Yes, but it's actually arigato, and they did not have a word for thank you before. When the Portuguese explorers got to Japan, they took their word for thank you and gave it to the Japanese. 
and the Japanese sort of morphed it into arigato. Then the word for thank you in Portuguese, abrigado. So actually the Japanese word for thank you comes from Portuguese, abrigado. That is definitely a little known fact. So you nailed it editorially on that one. Cool. You have no doubt. Arigato. Domo origato, Mr. Roboto. Who sang that? Was that Styx? I don't know. How could you not know? I think it was Styx. Because I tried to block out most of the 80s music. Um, those were important years for you. You have both used the term and eaten hors d'oeuvres, yes? Yes. It was actually a building. An hors d'oeuvre, in its literal meaning, is an outbuilding that is not part of the main structure. So It's called an outhouse, John. No, 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 an outbuilding. An outhouse can be an outbuilding, but all outbuildings are not outhouses. <laughs> the, little, the outbuilding was a little something on the side, and it got borrowed by the culinary community, and that's where we get hors d'oeuvres. But that's not an acronym, John. I know, but we moved on from that. Oh, you, oh. Can we just... Let's, let's continue with foreign words or ideas that came I don't in. feel like we're playing Jeopardy. Go ahead. One of my... but all-time favorite summer cocktails is the gin and tonic. You mentioned gin and tonic on almost every podcaster. Did I tell you how it came to be? No, but tell me about Dorothy Parker and her favorite quote. (laughs) So gin and tonics came to be when the Brits were colonizing India. I've talked about posh a lot. They get there and they love their gin, but people said, listen, India, the subcontinent is got tons and tons of mosquitoes, and there's a huge malaria issue. So you must deal with malaria. You must take these quinine pills. Quinine pills, quite bitter. So they would put them in water to dissolve, and you got quinine water. Again, in and of itself, a little bitter. They added gin, which was their favorite drink, to it. And quinine water is a precursor to tonic water. Hence, we get gin and tonics because the Brits didn't want to get malaria. And I do not want to get malaria either, so I'm going to enjoy a gin and tonic with you shortly. Good. I think you should have many because that also prevents against all sorts of diseases. Hey, Kurt, did you know that pearls will dissolve if put in vinegar? I do know that, John. You talk about pearls dissolving in vinegar. There's something in vinegar which can dissolve not only a pearl, but if you think about it, there's something... In human urine, which is like vinegar, A, the ancient Romans used to brush their teeth with it. I know it sounds disgusting, but it would break down the plaque. But B, and here's a little known fact I tell a lot of people, if you're ever stuck in a place and someone has thrown nerve gas in, tear gas, sorry, tear gas in, and you need to escape, rip off a piece of your shirt, urinate on it, and breathe through it to get out because there's something in your urine that will break down the tear gas and allow you to breathe and get out safely. You know what it is? It's an ammonia piece or derivative. Kurt, you mentioned vinegar. Salt and vinegar crisps are my favorite crisp. Ah, another mystery solved. Kurt, we were just talking about vinegar. John, can we do some fun facts about sports that we both know? I love sports and I love fun facts. So my answer is yes and yes. The NBA logo, who's the player? When was it created? 1964. John Havlicek. Havlicek. Too early for him. Jerry West. Oh, very good. Jerry West. 
a great Laker and then a great Laker executive. Now, why are they called the Los Angeles Lakers? Are there a lot of lakes there? Because they moved to Los Angeles from Minnesota, where they were the Minneapolis Lakers. And of course, Minnesota is land of 10,000 lakes. So here's another one, and then we'll get off sports. Just a fun one. Who's the only relief pitcher to pitch a perfect game in relief? Are you saying that over the course of multiple appearances? Nope. So he came in, he relieved the starter who got no outs and went on to pitch a perfect game. I'm shocked that I don't know this, assuming this is a real thing. Can you give me his initials? Well, remember, not only did the first guy not get any outs, but you know, a perfect game is no one even reaches base. Right, so the starting pitcher came in, began to face a batter, did not retire that batter, and that batter did not reach base. Kind of. The starting pitcher came in, walked the batter on four pitches, had threw such a fit that the ump threw him out, the relief pitcher came in, picked the guy off first base, and then got the next 26 out. Okay, so it's not technically a perfect game. He retired 27 players in a row, but a perfect game, as you pointed out, is... It actually is... I would, like to, I would like to guess this answer. Can you give me a hint? Uh, well, the starting pitcher was Babe Ruth. So this is from a long time ago. 1917 Boston Red Sox, I believe. I'm going to go with I don't know, but I'm surprised. Ernie Shore. I never heard of him. I just remember that as a kid, and there we go. All right, Kurt. I'm going to stick with sports for one more topic. I would like you to share with me what you consider to be one of the great all-time sports nicknames. Pick a fave. Of a person or a team? I was thinking a person, but if you want to name a team, I have no problem with that. Lou the Toe Groza. Lou the Toe Groza was the kicker for the Cleveland Browns in the 50s. Guy was awesome. They called him the Toe. How about William the Refrigerator Perry? So I met him and uh, I did a shoot with him once. And people always talked about how huge his hands were. So not only, and I have very big hands, but he took off his Super Bowl ring and gave it to me. I think three of my fingers went into his Super Bowl ring. That's how big he was. So you remember when the, when the Bears won the Super Bowl in 1985 and the refrigerator was a big deal, he would occasionally line up in the backfield uh, down by the goal line. And he was just so big that he could usually pull his way forward for a yard into the end zone. And in the Super Bowl, which I think they destroyed the Patriots like 52-10 or something like that, I felt bad because William the Refrigerator Perry got a carry down at the goal line and scored a touchdown in that game. But Walter Payton did not. And that is not, just wrong, 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 wrong. was not sweet for him. And that was a huge issue. And I remember that. Yeah. Just one other cool fact on sports. There's many, but do you know how the hockey puck was invented? It started off as a lacrosse ball and they cut the center out of it. Have I told you that before, John? I don't know if you have or you haven't, but I did know that. I had a book as a kid, Strange But True Sports Stories. I'd read it before I go to bed. And I remember to this day, the illustration in it was a man very upset because he owned a hockey arena and they were playing with a lacrosse ball and it kept breaking his glass in his windows. So he took his pocket knife out and sliced off the edges. Speaking of balls. The word ballot is balota, which is the Italian word for ball or small pebble, which is how people cast their vote in ancient times. Love that. Love it, love it, love it. Pez, you know the candy Pez? Invented as an anti-smoking campaign or trick. The idea was that you're supposed to mimic a lighter and you'd open it up. Instead of a cigarette, you'd have a little Pez thing come out. 
And here's another cool thing, John, about candy and stuff like that. Cotton candy invented by a dentist. To try business? Of course. Wow. That's got an evil quality to it. I love it. Anyway. Oh, I got a great one for you, John. Lincoln Logs that we all grew up playing with, invented by the son of Frank Lloyd Wright. Really? Why are they called Lincoln Logs? I don't know, but it was off of a design that he did. Frank Lloyd Wright did for a hotel in Japan. And his son was looking at it and made these things. And then we get Lincoln Logs. Dude, I wonder if it was a little bit of an homage to Lincoln having maybe grown up in a log cabin. It could be. Makes sense to me. So when the Dow Jones Industrial Average, Kurt, was created, it was 1896. There were just 12 stocks on it. I only recognize a couple of them. One of them remained the prominent company for some time and just recently was removed from the Dow Jones Industrial Average. My guess, General Electric. 100% correct. You've done an excellent job with your guessing here. So, John, as we wrap this stuff up, I just want to leave you with this. Do you know that it is impossible to tickle yourself? I did not. I'm trying right now and it's, I'm definitely not laughing. Why is that? All right, before we wrap up, Kurt, I have one more little-known fact for you. This is, it's amazing that this is true. A typical lightning bolt is only two to four inches wide. It's two miles long, but only two to four inches wide. Did you know that? I didn't. Why is that? Yeah, we're going to have to stop asking questions like that because I don't know. It's just that's the size. Have you ever been struck by lightning? No, fortunately. I have. Were you wearing like an aluminum foil hat out in a lightning storm? I was fly fishing on the Madison River in Montana, and I happened to be holding my rod when lightning hit the water and it went up the rod into my hand. What did it feel like? (laughs) That's what it sounded like. What did it feel like? Just like that. All right, Kurt, we're wrapping it up. Any final words? I just think that we had some great facts and a lot of drivel, and I encourage our audience to fact check us. And if you do find that we said something that is different than what you come to know, please let us know on Twitter or on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. We're on all of those at Smart Drivel. We would love to get your corrections. We'd love to get your ideas. And we would just love to hear from you in general. So We look forward to that. Kurt, thank you for this conversation. We will see all of you next week with another edition of Smart Drivel. Until then, we hope your world is filled with Smart Drivel. Thank you very much. Obrigado. Arigato. Mr. Roboto. Roboto.